This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me once again to the book of Hebrews. We are walking week by week, verse by verse, to the book of Hebrews. We looked at Hebrews 5, verses 1 through 10 last week. And this morning, we'll be looking at Hebrews 5, 11, all the way through chapter 6, verse 8, in one of the most anticipated passages of Scripture through the book of Hebrews. Anyone who begins the book of Hebrews begins with an awareness that at some point they're going to have to come to chapter 6, which contains one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament, but one I believe God is going to use this morning to really help us and encourage us as we navigate a life with Jesus. I was at a stoplight recently and I pulled up behind a car and I saw something in the back of that car that I think you've seen before. Right there inside the window in that little shelf that is right there, I saw a big Bible. It looked like it was worn. It looked like it had been used. It looked like it had been carried around for a good number of years. And inside that Bible, it was packed with, with papers, all kinds of papers. It looked like bulletins. You remember bulletins from the good old days? It just looked like they had put a bunch of bullets every week. They just stick the next bulletin, the next bulletin in there. Just an old, worn Bible. Now, I don't know the situation why that Bible was there in the back of the window. It could have been a number of things. Um, maybe this guy just loved God's word more than anything. And he kept a Bible everywhere. Didn't ever want to be without him. Maybe this was his car Bible. Just in case he ever had a minute for any reason, he could grab it. And he also had a, a bedroom Bible and a living room Bible and a bathroom Bible for those extra few minutes. You know, just maybe this was a guy that just always wanted a Bible around, right? Uh, maybe he just was trying to be a witness and he thought, you know, if I leave that Bible back in the back of the window there and somebody pulls up behind me, they may rededicate their life. Who knows? You know, they may think, boy, I tell you, I haven't read my Bible in a while. I, I don't know the reason. Maybe he, he's a preacher, I say that because I had already put this text together, uh, I mean, this illustration together for this morning, and then this morning I got into the office, and I couldn't find my preaching Bible, and it's because it was in the car from last Sunday. Now, let me be clear, I have another Bible I read from. This is just my, I promise you, this is just my fancy, nice preaching Bible, okay, and I, I only use it on Sunday mornings, and I love this Bible. I put a bunch of notes in the side, so maybe, maybe that's his deal. Maybe that was his preaching Bible. And I don't want to be judgmental, but I just kind of got the feeling that the Bible was left in the back of the car from last Sunday. You know what I'm talking about? It just it kind of felt like maybe that he put the Bible in there on Sunday afternoon and he got up the next Sunday and he got dressed and he drove to church and just easier that way there was the Bible. He grabbed it and he went into church with his Bible and it just kind of got me thinking. I don't know the situation, but it became a bit of a metaphor to me, particularly as I'm studying the book of Hebrews. It just seemed a little picture to me of how people often treat Jesus and how often people treat the church. Jesus, if we're not careful, can become a Sunday thing. Jesus can become a social thing. 
we're not careful, Jesus can become just another thing. And church can become just a Sunday thing, and church can become a social thing, and church can become just another thing. It's just another one of those things we do. It could be oftentimes that Jesus is a little bit like your Sam's Club membership card. You get it because you know sometime you're going to need it, but you don't need it that much, and you just kind of stick it in your wallet or in your purse, and then when it's time to need it, you fumble through your wallet, and you find it there, and then you use it when you need it. Like, Jesus is something we need to get in case we ever need him. We have a tragedy, or we need some wisdom, or we got a big decision, or we're confused, or someone asks a question about Jesus. Well, we fumble around and get our Jesus card that we've had for a while and just use when we need it. Instead of Jesus being a real person who's invited us into a relationship with himself, a a daily, ongoing, life-giving relationship where Jesus is not just a thing or a part of our life, but he actually becomes our life. That we have actually received the invitation to not only trust Jesus, but in demonstration that that trust is real, to follow him. And so, really, the daily pattern of our life is looking to Jesus and thinking about how we might follow him. Now, I don't think I need to convince you that the just Sunday Jesus and church people are real. I don't think I need to convince you of that. You you know that there's people like that. Maybe some here this morning. But I might need to convince you of just how dangerous it is to be one of those people. And that's really the text for today. The text for today is the danger of hearing the word of God, but never responding to the word of God. Of being in a moment like this and hearing the truth preached, maybe week after week, but it never having any change in your life. This passage includes not just a warning, but what may be the strongest warning in the entire New Testament. And it's a warning for churchgoers who just don't take Jesus very seriously. I find it really interesting that the strongest warnings in Scripture are not for Muslims. The strongest warnings in Scripture are not for the pagans, they're for the faithful attenders. If you don't believe me, just look at the ministry of Jesus. Jesus gave his harshest treatment, not to the unsaved sinners, but the unsaved religious. I mean, all throughout his ministry, the people that Jesus was constantly exposing and going after is those who gave an appearance of being something that they weren't, an appearance of loving God, but there wasn't any real love for God. And Jesus saw past the facade, as he does in all of our lives, and he saw the reality And it's those that Jesus constantly warned. It's exactly the text for today. A strong warning for those who are very aware of the things of God, but the relationship with Jesus is not real. It was my intention, as I divided up the book of Hebrews to preach it, to do one sermon from 5, 11 through 14. And I think giving our context, I could do one or two sermons on that. And then to come back the next week and do a sermon on Hebrews 6, 1 through 8. But the more I studied the text, and particularly the more I looked at Hebrews 6 and the difficulty of that and the questions that come along with this text, the more I realized that much of our confusion about Hebrews 6 is a failure to see it in light of the end of Hebrews 5. That in Hebrews 5, at those very end verses, it really 
sets up for us a problem. As the author is exposing a massive problem that he sees in the church. And then the following verses are really just a plea that flows out of that problem. So if you don't see the problem, you'll never understand the plea because every bit of this plea and this warning flows out of something that he's very concerned with, that he sees within the church at the end of chapter five. So it seems best, if we're going to understand it correctly, to see this text as a whole. So let me read, starting in Hebrews five, in verse 11, if you're there, say amen. It says this. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles and the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Chapter six, verse one. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then fallen away, he says it is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding them up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and is in the end to be burned. Now you might have noticed, particularly if you've been here the last few weeks, that right before this text is a text upon Melchizedek. So in chapter four, four, verse 14, the author introduces us to this idea of the great high priest and then talks to us about Aaron, who is a foreshadowing of Jesus, who is going to come. Jesus, like Aaron, has solidarity with people because Jesus came in the flesh. And Jesus, like Aaron, was appointed by God. And then we saw last week, Jesus also, like another high priest, came in the line of Melchizedek. Jesus from the ancestry of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, this really mysterious figure all throughout the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament is really just a picture of Jesus Christ. And so we come to understand more of him in the Old Testament by seeing Hebrews 4, 5, 6, and 7. But the truth is, is right as he was talking about Melchizedek, I mean, look at verse 10 of chapter four. He said, Jesus was designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then he doesn't mention Melchizedek for a while until the end of chapter six. Look at the last verse of chapter six. Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then all of chapter seven is about Melchizedek. 
So what seems to have happened is this, is that he was on this trajectory of helping us to understand these glorious truths about Jesus Christ and helping us to see Jesus in light of the Old Testament and all of these things in the Old Testament were just little pictures of the glory that was to come in Jesus Christ. But as he's talking about these things as a pastor, he is reminded of how difficult it is to teach these things, particularly to those who aren't ready to hear them or responsive to what he's going to say. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he clearly interrupts himself because he stops in verse 10 and then picks up again in chapter seven, exactly where he left off. And right in the middle of that, he begins to expose this problem that he sees. Because look what he says. He says about this, about what? About Melchizedek. Actually, what he's gonna talk about in chapter seven, I've got a lot to say, he says. He says, but it's hard to explain. And it is, it is hard to explain. You might remember that from last week, that this is hard to explain. But he says, the problem I'm feeling is not that it's hard to explain. The problem is right here in these next three words, the problem is that you're dull of hearing. That's the problem. He says, so I'm feeling this, this kind of angst and this hesitancy to teach you more And it's not because this is hard stuff. It is hard stuff. And I said to you a few weeks ago, I know this is difficult stuff as we're walking through Hebrews, but I also know that you can handle these things. The difficulty is not that it's hard to explain, although it is. The difficulty he feels is that they're just dull of hearing. And our ability to understand the difficult passage in chapter six comes from our understanding of those three words. What does it mean that they're dull of hearing? Well, it's not really a hearing problem much at all. The word dull means sluggish or lazy or negligent. It's revealing a people who are hearing with their ear, but they're not doing anything. It's not making any difference in their lives at all. He actually repeats those exact same words in verse 11 of chapter 6 and 12. Look at that. Look at 6, 11, and 12. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish. That's the exact same word as dull in that previous text. You don't want to be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, the opposite of being dull of hearing is being diligent and active and obedient. It's not a problem with the ear. It's not even a problem with the mind. It's a problem with the heart. It's not that they don't have the mental ability to comprehend what's being said. It also doesn't mean that they're unwilling to listen. No, they're in the room. They're listening. They're hearing. They're mentally able to grasp these things. What he's feeling as a pastor, which you feel this sometimes as a pastor, is their unwillingness to do something with what's being taught. I have a feeling the preacher was getting amens. The preacher was getting nods. The Bibles were open. They loved when the pastor talked about these type of harder things. But he said, I I have it find it difficult to keep talking to you because I have this feeling that you're going to listen to this and you're not going to do anything with it. It's not going to benefit you at at all. They weren't mentally lazy. They were spiritually lazy. They were unwilling to obey. 
It's interesting, as you preach books of the Bible, like is our normal habit here at Prince, uh, for me, I'll study a book a lot and I'll feel like I have a good grasp on it. But as I walk through it, I start to see things that I hadn't seen before. And one of those was in chapter four, verse two. I realized that this little verse here is incredibly significant in our understanding of the book of Hebrews. It says this, good news came to us just as to them. That's the gospel and all the other good news of God. The good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Well, why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So here's a group of people who heard the gospel. They heard the word, but it didn't benefit them. You know that it's possible for you to come here every week and it have zero benefit. You know that? They heard the good news, but it did not benefit. Why? Because their hearing was not united by faith. And what is faith? Faith is obedience to the word of God. Faith is saying, I hear what the Bible says and evidence that I believe it is that I walk in faith because of it. So here's a group of people that heard the gospel. They probably could have quoted the gospel. They knew the good news, but it had no benefit. Why? Because they failed to walk in obedience and be responsive to the word. That's exactly what he's saying, that the problem is here. They're dull of hearing. They're not active in the word of God. We, we know for a fact that the issue is, is not that they haven't heard, because look at what it says in verse 12. It says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. <laughs> and so the author somehow believes that they've heard enough. They've been at church long enough where they should be teachers. You wouldn't say this to someone who's, just come to Christ and been in church for two weeks and heard one or two sermons. No, you say this to someone who's heard a lot of sermons and been a believer for a while. And you say, listen, do you, do you realize you've heard a lot of sermons? You should be teaching by now, but they're not. It kind of fronts, confronts us with this, this question, is our level of maturity really on par with how many church services we've been to? And how many sermons we've heard and how many Bible studies they've gone through. They said, listen, you should be a teacher by now, but instead you keep needing someone to teach you the basic principles and the oracles of God. You should be eating solid food, but you're not. You need milk. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He's saying, listen, you've heard enough sermons to be teaching. You've been to enough Bible studies to get meat but as I start to talk to you about it, I feel hesitancy in my heart and I actually interrupt myself to talk about this problem because I sense that even though you like to hear these things and you've chosen to come and be in the room when it's being preached, I just get the sense that you're not doing anything with this stuff. It's not making any real change in your life. Listen, they're willing to go to Bible studies. They're willing to hear the word, just not willing to respond. See, their problem is not a lack of hearing. It's the opposite. Their problem is that they're just not obedient. Look at verse 14. This is the key. Solid food is for the mature. Now, who's mature? Who's a mature believer? And we would say, well, those who know the most. Well, maybe not. For those who have their powers of discernment trained. Okay, stop right there. So we know right now that maturity is something that comes through training. 
It's a process, it's work. You don't just become mature. There's some training involved. Well, what does that training look like? Trained, look at this, by constant practice. Those two words are absolutely critical to understand, to distinguish good from evil. So maturity as a believer is not just a matter of how much you know. It is the depth of your faith that is revealed in your obedience. Practice is the issue. Constant practice. The way people get mature is they hear something. It may be something simple and they obey it. And then they hear something else and they obey it. Every church has some people who have an incredible amount of knowledge about the things of the Lord, but the reality is, and maybe God only knows, they're incredibly immature because a head full of knowledge does not equal maturity. It is a heart that believes it and is walking by faith. And faith is, is practical, it, it's practice. And so when he says that you're dull of hearing, what he's saying is you're hearing with the ear, but you're not responding with your life. It might appear in some sense like laziness, but in reality, you know what it is? It's just faithlessness. They just don't believe. There's no action. And the preacher feels this. Listen, this is, there, there is something supernatural in a sense about being called to be a pastor and, and knowing how much your relationship with Jesus affects the church as a whole. It is a heavy weight. And part of the weight you often feel as a preacher is that although you certainly don't know everything, you get a sense for maybe how the church is doing. And so he's got this sense that I can keep preaching all day about the glories of Jesus Christ, but it's not going to amount to anything if you're not willing to walk by faith. He says, as a matter of fact, I'm actually concerned that I'm going to increase the danger that you have because you just want to keep hearing, but it's not producing maturity because of the lack of obedience. I can't help but to use an example I used a few weeks ago. And I think this example is, is, is really helpful for two reasons. Number one, because in its example of basic following Jesus. I mean, when you come to know the Lord, you should be taught a few things about spiritual disciplines, how to walk with Jesus, how to spend time in the word, how to get plugged into a church, how to give, how to pray, those things. And I also like this example because God has been so gracious to us and blessed us so much financially. My example doesn't make it seem like I'm begging you for money. But the example really is that of giving. You see, a few weeks ago, we talked about what it meant to walk by faith. And we said one of the examples of that is not just knowing that God blesses those who give and not just believing that we're supposed to give, but maturity looks like actually giving. It's a big difference. There's a ton of people that can say why to give and they can teach a Bible study lesson on the blessings of giving if they're not giving, they don't have any faith because the Bible is filled with examples of the blessings on those who give, but you don't believe it unless you give. And that's just, that's like basic. We're talking about elementary principles, but yet we have to continue to talk about these elementary principles, not because you don't know it, but because you don't believe it. And the way we know you don't believe it is because you don't do it. And so he, here's what they're feeling in this text. They're feeling this concern that it is a very dangerous thing to be someone who knows these things but does not do them. 
We often are so trite with the things of the Lord and basic obedience to the Lord. And I just want to say what this text is saying is it is extremely dangerous to keep hearing what God is calling you into and yet not acting upon it. And so feeling the weight of that problem, look at how he starts chapter 6. Therefore, because... What this means is walking by faith and constant practice and doing what God is telling you to do. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now it is a call to greater doctrine because doctrine matters. But it's also a recognition that greater doctrine without obedience does not make you mature. There's two really interesting things about verse 1. First of all, if you mark in your Bibles, circle that word us. Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and then circle and go on to maturity. So I find it interesting that the author of this book who is telling us that these things are hard to hear and is writing these things that are hard to hear who obviously has an incredible depth of understanding is saying that he himself wants to move on to maturity. Let's let's do it, let's do it. It's like a preacher saying, hey, I'm with you. I want to be more mature. I want you to be more mature, but I want to go with you. Come on, let's, let's press on. Let's take hold of Jesus. Let's go deeper. I want to know Jesus more, and I want you to know Jesus more. So he says, listen, I also don't want to be dull of hearing. Let, let's go, he says. Let's go to maturity. But when he says, let's go on to maturity, there's something interesting in those words. You wouldn't notice this just reading them, but the truth is in the Greek, it's a passive tense. Let us go on, which is odd because you would think it's just a command. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But by passive tense, what it means is it's something that is really a response in our lives, which explains a very strange verse in verse three. Look at chapter six, verse three. This we will do. We will press on to maturity if God permits. It puts God in the leadership position. It puts God as the initiator. And what this reminds us of is the way in which the Christian life works is this. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. What it means is this. God is always the initiator. God is always the one speaking. And when it says, let us go on to maturity, what it simply means is this. Let us live in a responsive relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ when as he speaks, we obey. And so in a sense, the pressure is on the Lord. Like the Lord is the one who's speaking to your heart. The Lord is the one who's saying, I'm calling you to take the step of obedience. And when it says, let us go on to maturity, what it's saying is this, let's get in line with what God is doing. Let's listen. Let's read our Bible. Let's take it out of the window of the car. Let's open it up. And as God speaks, follow. Jesus didn't say, come and lead the way. He said, come and follow me. He said, listen, this is going to be a life in which it's going to be active and engaging. And so I'm going to speak to you. And and by my Holy Spirit, I'm going to show you things. And then your response is to actually just be obedient to what I'm saying. So it tells us that maturity is both God-initiated and it happens in the context of community. You will never find a mature believer who's not actively engaged and committed to a local church. Let's do it together, he says. Let's go on. Let's leave the basic principles. And all of these things in verse 1 and 2 are essential. 
repentance and salvation from dead works and faith towards God and instructions about washing, laying of hands, resurrection of the dead. Those are important things. They're salvation things. They're first things. But he says, you've been a believer for 10 years, five years, and you still want the basic things. And the reason you can't go on past that is not because you're not mentally able. It's because you're unwilling to be obedient. So he says, let's go on. Let's follow the Lord. Let's listen to what he's saying and press on to maturity. And then he gives us what is maybe the most terrifying warning in all of the New Testament. Look at what he says after verse three. This we will do if God permits. God is leading, we're following and responding. Look at verse four. Four, why is it that we should take this seriously? It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have taste, shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. All right, are you awake this morning? Say amen. The big issue in this text is trying to figure out who he's talking about, okay? Now, the way we do that is we see this in light of all of the rest of Scripture, and if we see this in the rest of all of scripture, the one thing we have to say for sure is that he's not talking about genuine believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because they don't fall away and come to a place where they can't repent any longer. We know that. We, we know it from Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter three, verse 14, it says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It's not saying, if you stay faithful to the end, you're gonna be saved. What it's saying is this, those who are saved stay faithful to the end. They don't fall away. The greatest evidence that a person knows the Lord is not, an, is not a, uh, a decision at VBS when they were six, but it's perseverance. They stay faithful. They hold on to Jesus until the end. That's how you know someone is a believer with some really good times, some really bad times, some great decisions, and some really dumb decisions. They stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this from Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will complete it. We know it from all of Romans 8. We know it from John 6, 39, in which Jesus says this, every single one the Father has given me, I won't lose one of them. That's a good promise. Jesus says, I'm not gonna lose any of them. God has given me his children, and I won't lose any of them. No one is gonna snatch them out of my hands. They are mine, and I'm not gonna lose them. So if, if it's not for believers, who's the warning for? Well, I think it's for those in chapter four, verse two, who heard, but it wasn't useful because it wasn't united by faith. It's those who hear every week about giving or some other act of obedience, but they never do it. It's for those who know things and they know deep things, but they don't have any real genuine faith. Listen, it's, it's for church members. It's for church goers. But yet there is no real active faith. There is no walking with Jesus. There is no real love for Jesus, even though there is knowledge of the truth. And, and look at what it says about them. Look at these words. It says, these are people who've once been enlightened. That's unbelievable. That means they have this intellectual knowledge of the truth. And in order for that to happen, they had to have gone to Bible studies in church and they, they were enlightened. They learned new facts and they learned new truths. 
It says they were enlightened. They also, look, tasted the heavenly gift. Man, they, they got a little taste from time to time of what it's like to be in a service when God's moving and the spirit is present. They've seen miracles. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They haven't been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but they've participated in some things the Holy Spirit is doing. This is possible. It says they've tasted the goodness of the word of God. They've heard a good sermon. They've said amen and the powers of the age to come. Do you realize it's possible to have all of those experiences and not know Jesus? I mean, that's why this becomes so heavy on us because these people seem to have had so many experiences and someone came up to me after the first service and said, well, is this really possible? And I, I thought for that moment about, about Judas. Luke 9 and 10, Jesus sends out his disciples. Jesus said, when you went out and healed and cast out demons, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. And you know who was there and a part of all of that? Judas was there. He heard, he, he tasted, he saw, he saw the Holy Spirit work, but there was something missing in his heart. What it was, was, was faith and obedience and love for Jesus Christ. He seemed to get captured in the moment, but there wasn't a real genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says there are people like this who fall away. Verse six, they don't make it until the end. They fall short of heaven. The reason is because salvation is by grace through faith. There has to be a moment in which you place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's not saying a prayer. That's saying, Lord, I'm ready to follow you. And you're going to speak and I'm going to listen. And I'm going to join in with you on this life of God-initiated movement and walking with him. Would you just for a minute turn back with me to Matthew 7? I, I want you to read and see this passage of Scripture to know about this group of people that's being talked about. And, and again, this is just basic understanding of Scripture. We always interpret difficult passages with easier passages. And so this is very difficult, and I'm going to take you to a, another difficult one, but not quite as difficult. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Look at that, Matthew 7. 22 and 23, Jesus at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he says this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I will say on a personal level, there's no passive scripture that I've dealt with and struggled with more than this one. This is a terrifying text to me because can you imagine getting to the end of their life when there's no other option and no turning back, hearing the words, I didn't know you, depart from me. What's worse than that? Because that's it. That's the, that's, there's, no more, there's no more option. That's it. I didn't know you. And what's, what's strange is they prophesied in his name and cast out demons in his name and did mighty works in his name. And so the person that came to me after the first service was struggling with this. And this is where I said, well, Judas did all of this, but, but how, do you, how do you deal with that? Well, you deal with it by looking at the verse before it and the verse after it. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. They say, Pastor, does that mean we get to heaven by works? No, we get to heaven by faith. 
But the one who has saving faith hears the word of God and responds to the word of God and walks in obedience. And then then look at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, listen, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You see, in all of these things, the distinguishing feature is this. There are those who hear and then those who hear and obey. So when he says you're dull of hearing, what he's saying is this, I know you're hearing me, I just don't think you're believing. You're not walking in obedience and a true disciple of Jesus Christ is one who trusts and follows Jesus. Moment by moment, day by day, hearing and responding to the Lord. The seriousness of that is seen in verse four because it says in verse four, it is impossible. Listen, And he says, in the case of those who've been enlightened, tasted, shared, tasted, and then fallen away, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. Okay. It's not impossible because God's not able to do it. It's impossible because there are people who hear week in and week out the word of God. And they don't obey it. And over time, what happens is their heart gets hardened. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And there comes a moment in which your heart gets so hardened, it's impossible for you once again to return to the Lord. It's a possibility for the Lord to bring conviction after conviction after conviction, calling you to himself. And you come to a point where it's impossible for you to actually turn. Why? Because your constant rejection of the word of God has hardened your own heart. It's not God's unwillingness. He's been speaking and speaking and speaking. But he's bringing this warning that if you're consistently dull of hearing, meaning you're hearing but not responding, this is so dangerous because every time you hear and don't respond, your heart gets just a little harder and then more harder and more harder until it comes to the point where it could be impossible for you to come to the Lord because your heart is so callous. Then, as if this text wasn't difficult enough, look at that next phrase. And they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Like I I came to the end of verse five and the middle of verse six and I thought, boy, that's challenging. I'm glad we're done with that. And then I get this phrase. These people are crucifying again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to shame is what it means. Okay. Here's what it means. You listening? Say amen. Okay. One of the things we talk about often here at Prince is this, is that when you come to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is calling you to live out the gospel. So Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I am raised with Christ. What that means is this, is the daily walk with Jesus Christ is reenacting the gospel. I told you a few weeks ago about Paul Miller. He wrote this book called The J-Curve. He is actually coming to speak for us and preach for us in January. But what he says is this. He says, the Christian life and marriage and parenting is all about this. It's following the gospel. It's dying to yourself. And then when you come to the end of yourself and humble yourself, then you begin to experience some of the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. That's marriage. You die to yourself and you experience the resurrection. That's that's child raising, that's work, that's sanctification. 
We're reenacting the gospel of Jesus Christ. I told you a few weeks ago about a guy that I was counseling a little bit in another church in another state and his wife is suffering. And he said, I'm just frustrated because I don't feel like I'm getting enough appreciation. And I just said to him, just live the gospel. Just keep dying to yourself and you'll experience the resurrection life of Jesus. So that's what we do as genuine believers. We die and then we experience his life. Here's what these people are doing. They're also reenacting something. But instead of reenacting their reception of the gospel, they're reenacting the rejection of Jesus Christ. So what they do is as Jesus speaks and they reject, they're reenacting the death of Jesus Christ and the rejection of those who put him on the cross. They're by their life and rejection of Jesus, holding him up to contempt, or what that really means is open shame because they are constantly reenacting the rejection of Jesus. So there's people that come to church every Sunday and instead of leaving and reenacting the gospel, they're reenacting the rejection of Jesus. They are crucifying the son of God again to their own harm and holding him up to shame. That's what that means. And then the text ends with this illustration in verse seven and eight, which really brings us full circle. It says, for the land that has drunk the rain, and the rain is the word of God coming like it is this morning, or every time you open his word, and it falls on the land, and there's two groups of people. There's one where the rain falls, it produces a crop, it's useful, and it's cultivated, and it receives a blessing from God. There's another group. They also get the rain, but it bears thorns and thistles. It's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end, it is to be burned. So here's, here's the two groups. The rain falls, the word comes, one group hears it, they receive it. They become useful. Useful to who? Their family, their church, their co they're just useful people to God. Why? Because they hear the word and respond. And God blesses them. That's Psalm 1. God blesses the one who is obedient to the word of God. There's another group and they get the same rain. They hear the same sermon. They get the same word. But you know what? It bears thorns and thistles. Instead of being useful, it's worthless, it's cursed, and in the end, it's burned. Two groups, one difference. Their response to the word of God, which brings us directly back to the end of chapter five, where he says, my concern for you is that you're dull of hearing. You're hearing, but not responding by faith. So what does that mean for us this morning? Well, it means this. This morning, the rain is falling. The word is coming down. You're hearing the word of God and everyone in this room is one of two groups. Hear it, receive it, blessed by God, useful to the master. Over here, reject it, hear it, maybe a minute, but it makes no change in their life whatsoever, which is evidence of the fact that there's really no faith in what God says. You really don't trust him. The result is not useful, worthless, and cursed of God, instead blessed of God. So the response is always the same. Today, if you hear his heart, do not hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The issue is always one thing, it's faith. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're gonna walk in obedience to him and it's gonna be hard and sometimes you're not gonna do it, other times you will, but the pattern of your life will be one of walking by faith because the righteous are those who walk by faith and the goal is always God's desire for you to experience the fullness of his blessing. 
I just, I love the fact in the midst of a hard text of scripture, it ends with the heartbeat of God. Did you see that? What God is saying is this, the reason I want you to follow me is because I want you to be useful. Don't you want to be useful? And I want you to experience my blessing. I want you to know the life I was created you for. I want to be useful and I want to know his blessing. So how do you get that? You just walk with Jesus day by day by faith, believing that what he says is what's right. And you step out in it. You confess that sin. You make that relationship right. You start to give and be obedient to the Lord. Whatever it is, you just take that next step of faith. And in so doing, God makes you mature, useful, and blessed. It's all about God's heart for you, to do good for you. Your response is to hear and be obedient. As he initiates, you respond by walking by faith. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.